0: News, Faith Talk 570 WTBN, Pinellas Park, and 910 WTWD, Plant City. It's time for Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by
1: Verse Ministries.
2: But Jesus was not an, a self-censored, angry person. Did he have hissy fits because he didn't get his way? Did he have little temper tantrums? Did he slander people? who were nasty to him, and certainly they were. Did he retaliate? Was he unforgiving? Did he do a slow burn because he didn't get his way? Because his disciples were so slow and they didn't understand what was going on? Did he do a slow burn against Judas and say, I'll get you for this?
1: Clearly, Jesus did not do any of those things. We all know people who struggle to control their anger. Perhaps you are one of those people. We also know people who make no effort at all to control their anger. They enjoy temper tantrums the way I enjoy a perfectly cooked steak. As long as it doesn't lead to violence, though, anger and angry words are generally tolerated in our world. We all get mad sometimes, so it's easy to be understanding. But God is not at all understanding about mismanaged anger. Today on Verse by Verse, we will conclude a two-part message from Pastor Steve Kreloff that will help us understand our anger and how we might better deal with it. I once read a little story about two apples in a tree having a conversation. As they looked down on the world, one said to the other, Look at all those people fighting, robbing, rioting. No one seems willing to get along with his fellow man. Someday we apples will be the only ones left. Then we'll rule the world. The second apple replied, Which of us, the reds or the greens? Social differences are among the many foundations upon which we build our anger castles. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3 and see why social differences are not a reason for anger. In fact, the Apostle Paul gives us three reasons to set aside our anger. Here's Pastor Steve to tell us about
2: them. The question this morning, which we didn't get to last week, was why? Why should you do this? After all, and I'm going to be perfectly blunt, there is a wicked satisfaction to being angry. Some of us really enjoy it. It's been such a way of life, we think it's the norm. In fact, we wouldn't know how to respond if there wasn't a conflict. We did get angry. Well, we need to, because that's what the Scripture says. But there is a wicked, sinful enjoyment that we get out of being angry because it makes us feel so justified, so self-righteous to hold a grudge against someone who has wronged us. It just makes us feel good. It really does. And so uh, we need to ask ourselves, why is it so important to deal with, with anger? Why not just continue like that? It makes me feel so good that I don't have to speak to somebody because they just bug me. And by the way, all that Paul says is in the context of, of believers. It's a given that you should never be angry and, and take out your frustrations on unbelievers. He's talking about believers because he says in verse 9, don't lie to one another. So it's all about one another. It's It's within the context of a local church. How do we get along with one another? Why shouldn't you hold a grudge, especially in light of the Lord's Supper? Why shouldn't you be angry with one another? Why should you not be bitter? Why should you not speak evil to one another? Well, we want to see three reasons this morning for putting aside the sins of anger. Uh, This is not an exhaustive list. These are just the things that I see in Colossians chapter 3. I'm sure there are other reasons. But three reasons that Paul gives in Colossians 3 for putting these sins out of our our lives. Uh, Number one is found at the end of verse 9 and and, uh, beginning of verse 10. He says, since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self. Have put on the new self. Tremendous. What he's saying is these sins belong to the old way of life. They don't belong to your new way of life. Before coming to Christ, this was the way you were. Let me read it again. Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, which is being, and we'll look at that in a few, a few minutes. Uh, this is important to understand. At salvation, you laid aside the old self. What is the old self? The old self was all you were in Adam, all your unregenerate, uh, un unchristlike way. I, I, a good way of putting is your old nature. You laid it aside. Be careful. Paul is not saying that you are to lay that aside. You are simply to lay the sins aside that that were associated with the old way of life. But you have laid aside your old self, whether you recognize it or not. That's why we're teaching this. You did lay it aside. The old man was crucified, Paul says. You laid it aside. Paul is not teaching us to lay it aside. He is telling you that you have laid it aside. You have become a new creature in Christ. Therefore, he's saying, live like a new creature in Christ. I think it's important to to see this, that salvation doesn't mean that the old nature is kept and reformed. It means that it was replaced by a new nature. You cannot be half regenerate and half um, unregenerate. I don't think that the scriptures teach that we're a spiritual half-breed. Now, we still struggle with sin. We groan. I, I do not think that it's because of a nature. I think that the, that sin operates through our bodies. And that's why Paul speaks that our bodies groan until the day of redemption. Romans 7 speaks about his, his groanings. We still struggle with sin, but I don't think it's because a, a nature is there. And I realize some of it is semantics, and I don't, I haven't fully worked through it in my own mind how to articulate this. But Paul very clearly says the old self was laid aside. It was it was laid aside. You put on the new self, which is the new regenerate you. It's a divine nature. Therefore, we are to behave as people who are new creatures in Christ. That's what he means. All things have become new. That's our position before him. That's the way we really are. Now, Paul is telling us that we are to act the way we really are. So that's that's why. The reason... The reason that you are to put away the sins of anger and evil speech is because you're new people in Christ. It is unfitting for you. It, it is ridiculous for us to behave as old people when we laid our old selves aside. Number two, second reason why you should put these sins out of your life is the goal of this new life is to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Notice the rest of verse 10. Paul says, "...have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. What that means is this. The new man, the new self, the new nature is continually being renewed by God. It's continually being renewed by God. That is to say, there is a process of spiritual growth in your life. Though at the moment of salvation you instantly received a new nature, that does not mean that you instantly received spiritual maturity. That's a lifelong process. Remember Philippians one six: He who began a good work in you will perform it or continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. You have a new nature, but you are not completely new in behavior. That's why Paul is calling us to, to correspond our behavior to our new nature. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.16 says the same thing. Our outer man is decaying, and some of us know that ever so well, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Uh, the word renewed simply means to make new uh, uh, again, to make different, a new quality. That is to say, though, outwardly we're getting older, we're, we're perishing. Inwardly, God is doing a transforming work, making us like Jesus Christ. The goal of the Christian life is to be inwardly transformed to be like Christ. That's why it says the image of the one who created him. Jesus Christ is the creator and God is making us more and more like Christ. Now, how does this constant renewal take place? It's a daily thing. Notice what he says in verse 10. He speaks of true knowledge. That is the knowledge of the word of God. The more you know about God and his word and specifically about the Lord Jesus Christ, the more you become like him. And obviously he's talking about obeying, not just studying the Bible so you have more theological insight than other people and can argue. He's talking about knowing the word so you obey the word. That's how you become like Christ. Notice Romans chapter 12. Renewed in the spirit of your mind, by the way, Paul says in in Ephesians 4.23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's what he's talking about. True knowledge in your mind makes you more like Christ. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So so give God your all. Lay it down. This is true commitment, true devotion. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world. Don't be like the world, but be transformed, meaning inwardly, by the renewing of your mind by the renewing of your mind, and he means that your mind must take in the Word of God that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. As I take in the Word of God, I become more and more like Jesus Christ. That's why you'll never grow unless you have a regular time in the Word of God. You'll you'll never grow. And you won't stay stagnant, by the way. I've learned this in the Christian life. You are either growing closer to the Lord or you are growing further away. You will never stay right where you are. Today you are either moving towards holiness or moving away from holiness. A great passage of scripture is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 speaks about our holiness and our growth. He says, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. All that he's saying is basically this. I shouldn't say all that he's saying, but basically the, the spirit is uh, of, of this passage is this. As you gaze into the Scriptures and look into the face of Jesus Christ and his character, the Spirit of God is transforming you into that very image. In other words, you're looking like as a mirror at Christ. And what you're going to see if you spend time in the Word looking back at you is your own reflection. You're going to become more like Christ as you get into the Word of God. The Spirit does His inner work of transformation. So new life means, uh, means growth. New life in Christ means growth. It means change. And that's why you have to put off the old behavior because you're changing. You're growing. You're becoming more like Christ. So the reason that you want to put aside the sins of anger is this. Anger, self-centeredness, and so forth. It's, it's contrary to the character of Jesus Christ. He didn't do those things. This is God's plan to make you like Christ. And Jesus was not an angry man. Now, he had some anger of righteous anger, righteous wrath. I doubt if many of us struggle with that. We tend to struggle with self-righteous wrath. But Jesus was not an, a self-centered, angry person. Did he have hissy fits because he didn't get his way? Did he have little temper tantrums? Did he slander people who were nasty to him? And certainly they were. Did he retaliate? Was he unforgiving? Did he do a slow burn because he didn't get his way? Because his disciples were so slow and they didn't understand what was going on? Did he do a slow burn against Judas and say, I'll get you for this? No, he didn't. In fact, it says in First Peter chapter 2, when he was reviled, he did not revile back. Which means when he was cursed, that he didn't curse back. He offered no threats. He entrusted himself to the one who judges righteously. That's to be our attitude. That's why you want to put aside these sins of anger, because it's unbecoming to Christ. He's not like that. And if we're to become more and more like him, then we must be like that and understand that. Now, the third reason for putting aside the sins of anger, number one, was the sin of anger belongs to the old way of life, and you have a new way of life. Number two, that the goal is to become like Christ. And number three is found in verse 11. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, uncircumcised and circumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man, but Christ is all and in all. What does he mean by this? This verse speaks of various cultural and religious and social and ethnic distinctions between people of, of that era, people of the first century. And you know what? Much of our hatred and contempt is because we're prejudiced. And, and we're prejudiced against people who are different than we are. Different religiously, different ethnically, socially, culturally. Hatred and animosity and evil speech often come out and express itself against people who are different. We call that in our culture prejudice. Uh, we all struggle with it, whether we like to, to admit that or not. And... uh I know one man who was so prejudiced. We used to say this about him: he doesn't—he's uh, not prejudiced. He hates everybody. I mean, there's no prejudice in his hatred. He just hated everybody—everybody everybody who was different than he was. Now that is the way the world operates. That is generally the way the world operates, but not so for a Christian. We're different. Christ has made us, and this is Paul's point. Christ has has taken people from various backgrounds and social. Um, backgrounds and religious backgrounds and ethnic and cultural, and he has made us new people. He has made us new. With, with the new man or the new self, earthly distinctions are absolutely irrelevant. They're still there. The slave in the New Testament era still was a slave. The Jew was still a Jew. The Gentile was still a Gentile. The man was still a man. The woman was still a woman. But spiritually, those earthly distinctions are irrelevant. That's what he's saying. They still exist in society, but they are irrelevant as far as our fellowship and getting along with one another. And Paul has various groups that hated each other. He speaks of the the Greek and the Jew and, and circumcised and uncircumcised. Gentiles and Jews despised each other. They absolutely despised each other. Uh, They wouldn't eat in each other's homes. That's why Peter had that problem going to the house of Cornelius. A Jew wouldn't even buy uh, food prepared by a Gentile butcher. The the Jews called the Gentiles dogs. And uh, they thanked God that they were not like Gentile dogs. There was real animosity. And Gentiles hated hated the Jews as well. He speaks of, uh, that's ethnic and religious differences. He speaks of cultural differences, barbarian and Scythian. What is that? The cultured Greeks looked down upon anyone who was ignorant of their language and, and their culture, their Hellenistic culture, and they called them barbarians. Barbarians. The lowest of all the barbarians were the Scythians. It's not a word that many of us are familiar with, but the Scythians were a nomadic, warlike uh, invaders from the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. They were a terrible people. In fact, I'm going to read to you part of a quote from... Uh, Uh, A 5th century B.C. historian about the Scythians. Uh, See if if they'd be high on your list, if you'd send them a Christmas greeting card. As regards war, the Scythian custom is for every man to drink the blood of the first man he kills. The heads of all enemies killed in battle are taken to the king. If he brings a head, a soldier is admitted to his share of the loot, no head, no loot. He strips the skin off the head by making a circular cut around the ears and shaking out the skull. He then scrapes the flesh off the skin with the rib of an ox, and when it is clean, works it it in his fingers until it is supple and fit to be used as a sort of handkerchief. He hangs these handkerchiefs on the bridle of his horse and is very proud of them. They have a special way of dealing with the actual skulls, not with all of them, but only those of their worst enemies, they saw off the part below the eyebrows, and after cleaning out what remains, stretch up a piece of rawhide around it on the outside. If a man is poor, he is content with that. But a rich man goes further and gilds the inside of the skull as well. In either case, the skull is then used to drink from. Those were the Scythians. So you can well understand why there might be an attitude problem towards these people. You can well understand that if you were of a background of Scythian and then became a Christian... Um, came into the church. People might be holding their heads a little bit and uh, and wondering, hoping you didn't have a relapse. So, uh, so you understand what he's talking about. There were also social differences. Social differences. He speaks of slave and freemen, and uh, those social differences didn't stop, but they were irrelevant as far as the body of Christ. One, uh, a slave was considered property, the tool a tool to be used. But, and here's Paul's point, regardless of the contempt that existed among these various groups outside of Christ, coming to Christ means no more barriers. It means no more contempt, no more hatred. Why? Because he says Christ is all and in all. In other words, he indwells all believers and makes them equal and makes them new creatures. You ought to read on your own. Ephesians chapter 2, in which Paul says the wall of partition is down that separated Jew and Gentile. The animosity is gone. He has brought you into one new man. He has made peace. That's why he says in Galatians there's neither Jew nor Gentile in Christ, neither male nor female, slave nor free man. Christ is all and in all. The reason we cannot continue to hate one another is because regardless of our uh, religious, social, cultural, ethnic backgrounds, Christ has made us all new people with the same new natures. And while earthly differences exist, they are irrelevant spiritually in the church. We're all equal in him and he is equal, equally in us. No one's better and no one's worse. And let me apply this because we might look at this list and say, yeah, I don't have any problems with Scythians. I don't even know a Scythian. I don't have, I don't have problems with, uh, even, even Jewish people. I mean, the pastor's Jewish, so why would I have a problem? Um, let, let me apply it by, by saying this. In Christ, there is neither independent Baptist or Southern Baptist. There's neither Calvinist nor Arminian. There's neither pre-trib or post-trib. There is neither immersionist or non-immersionist. We need to be careful. Let me take it a step further. In Christ, there is neither married or divorced. Married or single. We're not dealing with with the doctrinal distinctives of someone. We're talking about those who really have come to Christ, who may have doctrinal distinctives, may have some things different in their lives. We're not even talking about the divorce issue here, except to say that if somebody is in Christ, if they really know the Lord Jesus Christ, we must be careful that our that we don't look down upon somebody because they don't believe the same thing we do about prophecy. That we don't look down upon some, uh, somebody because uh, we have a stronger view of election. We must be careful about that. We must be careful that there are no secondary people that, in the body of Christ. We don't look down on anybody. And we don't look up to anybody thinking they're better than us. I think that's how you apply it. Because there is real hatred and animosity amongst believers when there is somebody who you disagree with on a doctrine, I'm not talking about the essentials of the faith. You couldn't have fellowship with someone who doesn't embrace the essentials of the faith. But I'm talking about within the body of Christ, different theological perspectives. need to be careful. Now, these are the reasons that we must not have animosity. Christ has made us one new man and we are to behave like new men and new women in Christ. Let's bow for prayer, and then we'll proceed from there. Father, we've heard the reasons. We know what your word says, and yet it's relatively easy to to preach from here about this. I pray, Father, that we'll put these truths into practice. I pray for those who don't know Jesus Christ, that they will recognize their sin of anger, because they don't have any victory over it, their sin of evil speech. And we'll see that even as Jesus said, every careless word will be judged, that they'll run to Christ for deliverance from sin's penalty and power. Father, I pray for us, especially as the Lord's Supper is soon upon us, that there'll be a repentant spirit about uh, those we might hold grudges against, those we might be angry towards, that we might see the big picture and that we might recognize that it's just sin because of our pride. Sometimes, Lord, our pride has been deeply wounded. We've been hurt. Help us to be truly humble and to recognize that, we're, that, that we are, are struggling because we're acting like sons of, of Adam when we're really sons of God with new natures. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
1: General Robert E. Lee was a committed follower of Jesus Christ. It is said that soon after the end of the American Civil War, he visited a church in Washington, D.C. During the communion service, he knelt beside a black man. An onlooker said to him later, How could you do that? Lee replied, My friend, all ground is level beneath the cross. Social, economic, or racial differences are not a valid reason for anger. Charles de Gaulle once said, When I am right, I get angry. Churchill gets angry when he is wrong, so we are often angry with each other. If that's the story of your life, it's time to set it aside and put on the new nature Christ has given to his followers. If we are going to be conformed to the image of our Savior, we must set aside misplaced anger. It was great to have you in class with us today. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These classes are adaptations of Pastor Steve's messages and are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We hope you'll come to see us on the web at versebyverseradio.org. We have today's class there ready for you to listen to again or to download. The same goes for any of the hundreds of other broadcasts stored on the archives page. If these classes are a blessing to you, I hope you'll pray about helping us to pay the bills and keep them on the air. If you want more information on giving, there is a link on our home page. The web address again is versebyverseradio, all one word.org. To order a CD or cassette, give us a call at 727 239 0306. You'll be able to hear the entire two part message in one sitting without announcements. There is an old saying that clothes make the man. It's one of the silliest, most shallow sayings I've ever heard. Fine clothes will not make a fine person. Red paint doesn't make a fast car. A pressure suit will not make me a fighter pilot. And behaving like a Christian will not make you a Christian. However, Christ does expect his followers to change our clothes once we come to him for salvation. The master tailor has made for each of his followers a beautiful wardrobe. It's a good thing, too because the spiritual clothing we wore before trusting Christ leaves a lot to be desired. As we have been learning, the old wardrobe consisted of anger, abuse of speech, dishonesty, and all sorts of other evil practices. The new wardrobe consists of compassion, kindness, humility, and a host of other virtues that will make our relationship to Christ obvious to the people around us. We'll consider those virtues on the next Verse by Verse. I'm your announcer, Jerry Pruden.
0: Deepening your faith. Sincerity is not what saves you. Jesus is who saves you. So may I ask you today, have you decided to trust Jesus as your Savior? These were hours of decision, and this is an hour of decision for you today. Faith Talk 570 and 910 WTBN.